You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. evening, Southridge. Thank you for joining us tonight. Whether you're online or here with us, we just want to thank you for joining us here. It says here in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. Verse 32, it says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Verse 47, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. And verse 50, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. We just pray right now, God, that you would just move in this place. Thank you that we can lift our hearts in worship and gratitude. Thank you for what you're doing. We know that even though we can't see your hand, we can trace what you're doing. We know that you're working in each and every life. I thank you for those who have gathered here on this Sunday afternoon. I pray, Father, their hearts and minds would be open to what your word wants to say to them. I pray that our hearts would be turned towards you, that the distractions of this world, the weight of cares of this life, would just be set aside for a moment where we can focus on you. And I pray that your word would speak to hearts and lives. We love you. We pray your blessing on this service. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for uh, the direction that it's headed in. We pray that you would send a great revival. We pray that you would change us, that you would be with those that are in leadership right now, Lord. We, we so desperately need to turn ourselves back towards you. And we pray for mercy on our nation. We pray, Father, that as we come into the season of Thanksgiving, that our hearts would be thankful for all that you've given us. You've blessed us richly with so many good things and how often we've just taken them for granted. We've acted spoiled at times. We've acted in such a way that doesn't bring you honor and glory. We act entitled. So forgive us for expecting things instead of being appreciative of all that you've done. I pray that you bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Once again, welcome to Southridge. We're honored and thrilled that each and every one of you would make plans to be a part of our service. Tonight, we have a special honor. Uh, our church supports missionaries in the Philippines, in China, here in the Bay Area, and also in Colombia. And so uh, one of our missionaries was able to be in town for a few weeks uh, on kind of like a holiday, I believe, and to be with family. And so we have uh, Missionary Elvis and Stephanie Franco who are here. And it's really great to have them because they're from Bogota, Colombia. I'm going to invite them up here. Can we give them a round of applause and thank them? And they're going to give us an update and a testimony. Here's what's great. Uh, I asked uh, Elvis to actually speak in Spanish, and his wife will translate in English. So we're going to get a best of both worlds. Plus, they have a video update for us. So just for the next few moments, even those that are watching online, we'd love for you to uh, stay engaged as we receive an update from one of our missionaries. And we love this family. Uh, God is using them in some great ways, and I can't wait for you to hear more about it. Here we go. Muy buenas tardes. Es un privilegio y un gusto poderles visitar. Good evening. It's great to be with you and to greet all of you. Estoy tan emocionado de por fin estar en un culto eh, presencial. I'm, it's such a privilege to be here in person. Hace más de ocho meses que no podíamos hacer eso. It's been about eight months since we've been able to gather in Colombia as well, so it's great to be in a church service. Recién en nuestra iglesia pudimos hacer todos los documentos que el gobierno de Colombia exige para poder hacer eso. In our church in Colombia, in our ministry, um, we just got all the legal documents back to be able to be in person together again. So. Pero bueno, en los minutos que tenemos, amén. 
en los minutos que tenemos quiero contarles un poco acerca de lo que hacemos y qué es nuestro ministerio. Trabajamos para una organización que se llama Acción Internacional Ministries. We work with an Action International Ministries. Estamos asociados con ellos para trabajar en comunidades vulnerables. We work with them specifically to work in, in neighborhoods that are very poor. Esta organización trabaja en más de 40 países en el mundo entero. This organization works in over 40 different countries over the world. Tengo también el privilegio de ser el director nacional en Colombia. He's also the national director in Colombia. Y Dios nos ha llamado a servir en eh, un barrio que se llama Kazuka al sur de Bogotá. Son personas con muchas necesidades. They are people with a lot of need. Con muy poco eh, presupuesto diario para poder vivir. They don't have a big to live day by day. Hay muchos niños. There's lots of kids, muchos jóvenes. Lots of teens, en riesgo constante de muchas cosas malas en su vida. They're at risk for a lot of terrible things. Es un lugar que ha sido golpeado por la violencia y hay muchas personas que han sido eh, desplazadas de otras partes del país. There's lots of people who have hit, been hit by a lot of the violence in that neighborhood and also they've been displaced from different areas in Colombia and other countries. Y llegan a ese lugar a refugiarse. And they go to this place and live there as a refuge. Así que tenemos el privilegio de servir en medio de ellos. Solo algo así como esas comunidades donde nadie quiere ir. Son peligrosas. It's very dangerous. Hay gente que no tiene muy buena cara. Y hay muchas personas que han hecho muchas cosas malas. Pero Dios nos dio el privilegio de ir a ese lugar. However, God has given us the opportunity to go and be with them. Y estoy seguro es porque él tiene un pueblo que que ha escogido en ese lugar. And I'm sure that God has called the people in this specific specific neighborhood. Pero en Romanos capítulo 10, and in Romans 10 we see, dice en el versículo 14, in verse 14, ¿Cómo pues invocarán a aquel en el cual no han creído? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? ¿Y cómo creerán en la en aquel de quien no han oído. ¿Y cómo oirán sin haber quien les predique? Pero habla de otro tipo de personas y dice, ¿y cómo predicarán si no fueren enviados? Quiero ser sincero con ustedes y decirles que les amo mucho. And honestly, we can share and say to every one of you, we love you as a church a lot. Mi esposa y yo estamos muy agradecidos porque esta es la primera iglesia que apoyó nuestro ministerio. Um, we are very thankful because you guys were actually one of the first churches to support us as missionaries in Colombia. Así que Southridge tiene un lugar muy especial en nuestro corazón y en nuestras oraciones. So Southridge always has a very special place in our hearts and also in our prayers. El pastor Macaya y todos ustedes nos han apoyado desde que empezamos. Pastor Macaya and all of you guys have also Así que todo lo que ustedes van a ver en el video que queremos pasar ha sucedido gracias a que ustedes nos apoyan. Hay muchos buenos guerreros que quieren ir a pelear la batalla. Pero no solamente necesitan actitud para poder ir. Se requieren recursos para ir. They also need y no solamente estoy hablando de recursos materiales, material sino de recursos espirituales. But also Las armas de nuestra milicia no son carnales. Nuestra guerra no es contra eh, cosas naturales, sino sobrenaturales. Así que les amamos mucho porque ustedes están apoyándonos a nosotros. Pastor Macaya y cada uno de ustedes aporta para que podamos ir y hacer esa obra. Y también hacen una ofrenda a nosotros. Por eso es nuestra responsabilidad venir y contarles qué está pasando en Colombia. Y queremos que vean este video. So we'd like you to see this video. Tal vez voy a decir dos o tres palabras más después del video. Pero quiero que vea especialmente el rostro de esos niños, niñas, hombres y mujeres que Dios está salvando en ese lugar. 
but I want you to see specifically the faces of the kids, the teens, and the families of the people that God is saving. Así que, acción. So, let's take a look. Nuestro trabajo en Kazuka es predicar el Evangelio con claridad y urgencia. Es lo que más nos interesa. Pero Dios nos ha dado el privilegio de mostrar el amor de Cristo de una forma práctica. But God has also called us to show love in a practical way. Y ese tiempo de cuarentena ha sido una buena evaluación espiritual. And in this time of quarantine, it's been a good evaluation time for us. Sinceramente tenía un poco de temor pensar que estas son personas nuevas que nunca han ido a una iglesia. These are people new who have never been to church and he had a little bit of a fear. Y tal vez después de todo este tiempo no iban a querer volver. That after all this time being apart, they weren't going to want to come back. Pero hace unos meses atrás ellos estaban diciendo, Pastor, ¿cuándo vamos a volver? But a few months um, before we got together again, they said, when are we going to get back together again, Pastor? Y, y les dijimos, Por fin volver, and when he told them that finally we could be together again, yo quise a ellos, eh, ¿qué era lo que más de la he asked them, what was it that you missed most? 
And he honestly thought some of them might say, you know, the food. Los amigos. The friends. Las reuniones. The meetings. Tal vez la alabanza o la música. Maybe the music and worship time. Pero fue emocionante escucharlos decir uno tras otro. But it was amazing to hear one by one them Lo que say, más extrañamos es la enseñanza de la palabra de Dios. What we miss most is God's teaching. Porque sabemos que es la única esperanza que tenemos. Because we know that's our only hope. Gracias por ir con nosotros. So thank you for going with gracias us. Gracias por apoyarnos. And thank you for supporting us. Y gracias us. por orar por nosotros. And thank you todo lo que ustedes vieron es gracias a ustedes el Señor les bendiga And we're a part of that. Where when you participate in missions offerings and vision galas and things like that, I want you to know that the pictures of those faces, those we're having a small part in that story. And it's because of people like the Francos that have that that uh, they're going to Colombia. We we see it on the news as a very dangerous place. That's their home, and they love it. And God's called them there. And so let's be responsible not only financially, but then also with our prayers. Uh, and think that there's a family here that they could use the Holy Spirit of God and his power to do great things, to reach a country for the Lord. And so right now, uh, would you just uh, stretch out an arm with me? And we're going to pray over this family and ask God to bless them and protect them. Grace Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Franco family. Lord, would you multiply their ministry? Father, would you give him incredible boldness? I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would anoint him anew and afresh. I pray that there would be fresh anointing in his preaching. I pray that the ministry that he and his wife have when they go back to Colombia, that it has so much more power and it has an unction from on high. I pray that they would have greater boldness. Lord, thank you that they're a church that's willing to open as soon as they can because people need the gathering. They need the ecclesia, the called out assembly. So thank you for this brave couple. Father, would you continue to use them in a powerful way? Would you bless them? Father, I know that the enemy, the devil, would love to destroy them, to distract them, and to hurt them. And Father, I pray a hedge of protection around them. I pray that they would have supernatural favor, and I pray that you would use this couple. We're so grateful for them. We love them, and we pray that you would bless them in so many ways. May this time... Uh, here in the States be refreshing, and I pray also not just refreshing, but I pray it'd be a time of revival for them, where they get fresh wind and fresh fire from the Spirit, and I pray that you would use them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you. We're so grateful for each and every one that goes to the mission field. Uh, I was sharing with some before the service started that our church was supposed to do two mission trips during this past year, that we had a postponed to 2021 so i hope you'll make plans to attend the vision gala where you'll hear more about those things well if you have a copy of god's word would you go to the book of acts with me acts chapter number 22 we've been each week uh for the most part been studying one chapter a week in the book of acts and it's been a part of the bible where we're just barely scratching the surface as we take it chapter by chapter but I heard from one person this week that was reading a different book. They said it was amazing because the book of James was written at the same time as Acts. And now you have a greater perspective on what's going on because we're studying the book of Acts. And we are kind of coming to the end of Paul's journey. There's only just six chapters left in this book. And as we study, we get a great view of what the first church was like, what the ministry of the apostle Paul was like. It's because of the Apostle Paul that much of what we know of missionary journeys and much of what we know about giving reports is because of what we've studied in the book of Acts. He did, uh, or he went on three missionary journeys and he would come back. His sending church was the church at Antioch and he would come back and give a report of the things that they had done over the prior years of ministry. Well, we come to Acts chapter number 22 and as we turned there, I want to begin by saying thank you for being a part of our services. Welcome those that are watching online. But then how many of you, whenever you are talking with a friend or a coworker, do you tell them that you, uh, when you're chatting, you see them? Did you, do you go up to them and say, hey, Bob, Sally, it's good to see you. Hey, just want to let you know I brushed my teeth this morning. Does that ever come up in your conversations? 
You say, well, my life is really boring, so yes, it does. <laughs> Maybe it does. Hey, do, you, do you go up to uh, your, your friends and you say, hey, not only did I brush my teeth this morning, but uh, I also I did my laundry yesterday. Just thought you'd like to know. Hey, I, I, I picked up after my dog. You know, when we, when we come into conversations with other people, those details, we typically don't bring them up. You say, why don't we bring up those details? Because they're boring and nobody cares. <laughs> Not even those closest to you. Tonight, I think too often, when it comes to sharing stories, we forget that we have a great story to tell. And when it comes to telling a great story, we like great details. The reason we don't share those boring, mundane details is because of just that. They're boring. I believe that uh, when it comes to sharing things, we like to share good news. We like to share exciting stories. We don't like to share things that are boring, that may distract the audience or the listener. I believe for us, when it comes to big moments, big moments create big memories. Little moments create small memories. And boring mem moments create no memories. And when it comes to sharing a story, we share what we remember. There are certain things that we want to stay with people. We share things that people will remember. And when it comes to these moments, you and I, we can remember some of the most minute details to the big moments of our life. Think about the moment that you proposed to your spouse. You can probably remember all the details surrounding that moment. Or think back to the moment that you said, I do, at the wedding altar. You can remember all those details. Maybe your first date. It didn't matter if you ended up marrying that person. The first date is something and maybe it was just, hey, back in the day, you used to go to the mall and watch a movie and share a bucket of popcorn or something. But you can remember the details around that moment. It's a big memory. Uh, what about the details around getting your driver's license? The first time you drove the car with nobody else in the car. You can remember the car. You can remember the details. You probably even remember uh, the weather. All those details around these big moments in our life. But one of the greatest moments that I believe that should happen in every person's life is the moment that they receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. The moment that they repent of their sin and they turn to Jesus Christ as their Savior is arguably the single greatest moment in each and every person's life. But yet when it comes to this moment, many times we don't like to share the details with it. Every once in a while, we might share that story of when we received Jesus. We call it our testimony. The psalmist David, he said in Psalms 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He's saying there was a moment when I first received Jesus that I couldn't wait to tell people about it. My heart was overwhelmed. The guilt and the weight of my sin and the worries of this world began to melt away. And then at that moment, I realized that I truly had a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That I had forgiveness of sin and that I now had a future in heaven. It's a great moment. It's a great moment for each and every Christian. But I believe it's a moment that many of us fail to utilize in sharing with others about Jesus. You see, people can argue with the facts about the Bible. They can argue with the details. They can argue whether there is or there wasn't a resurrection, whether there is a Jesus, whether there is a God. They'll argue about doctrine and theology. They'll argue with you all day long. I work out and I had lunch with uh, an atheist this week and he said, we're so different, you and I. He said, I'm an atheist and you're a pastor and I, for some reason, like hanging out with you. I was like, I don't know how to take that. Kind of a backhanded compliment. I don't know. And, I was, and then I went on to tell him, what you like about me is actually the God that's in me. That's actually what you like. That's actually what you're attracted to because the, the, the me that you don't see is garbage. You, you wouldn't like him. My wife and family, they've seen enough of him. They were like, where's, where's the redeemed, sanctified Micaiah? We want that one. 
But we have this moment of salvation, and it's a transformational moment. You see, when it comes to our salvation story, this is a great moment that we need to leverage and share with others. I'd like you to write this down, if you would. It can't be considered good news if you never share it. It can't be. And when it comes to the Bible, we call the gospel good news. That's the word that the ancient Romans would use after they won a battle. They would send a messenger to the general or to the emperor, and he would say gospel. It meant good news. We've won the war. It's a term that Christians say, but we don't have to know what it means. But yet when we understand that gospel is good news, but yet if we never share that good news, is it really good news? I would dare say in the fact that we don't share, it actually becomes bad news because there are people that need to know that they can have forgiveness of sins, the friendship with Jesus, and a future in heaven. And if you and I withhold that information, it's now bad news to them because now they are doomed to an eternity without Christ in a place called hell in the lake of fire. So it's the responsibility of each and every child of God to take their testimony, the story, the moment that they receive Jesus, and share that with them. Because like I said, people can argue the details and the facts of the Bible, but they have a hard time arguing with the fact that you're a changed individual. You see, I went on to share with that atheist. I said, hey, look, I wasn't always a Christian. My dad's a pastor. I've got brothers who are pastors. But it wasn't until the age of 14 that I needed to make it a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And at that moment, I wasn't just oh, made a little bit better. It wasn't just a kind of a reno project. No, no, no. It was a total transformation. It was at that moment that I was changed, that God then through the power of the Holy Spirit began to change my desires, my likes, and my dislikes. Things begin to totally and radically change. You see, if you never share your testimony, it really means it's not that important to you. I think every wife in this room would be rightly offended if your husband never wanted to talk about your anniversary. Oh, I don't like remembering that date. Oh, man, what did I do on that day? February 20th, 2009, what was I thinking? You know, that, that would be a little bit offensive to my wife. She'd be like, really? So that's how you feel about our anniversary. But yet when we don't share it, it kind of, it's kind of insulting. Anybody ever gotten you a gift? And whenever you see that person, you say, oh, man, that gift you got me. It's, I still remember it. You got me that gift five years ago. But I still remember that gift. It was so expensive. It was so generous. It was so great. And people love hearing that. They love to hear that you remember that they bought you that gift. Don't you think that God loves when you share with other people that, hey, I got saved. He changed my life. And I got to tell you about it. It was the greatest day of my life was the day I received Jesus as my Savior. So, Acts chapter number 22, we see Paul. He's going to share his testimony. He does so three times in the book of Acts. He repeats his salvation story more than any other biblical character in the Bible. He does so three times in 28 chapters. But it's also recorded more times than just those three. But three times it's recorded in the book of Acts where he personally uses his testimony, his story to tell other people. And we're going to come to that in Acts 22. We left off two weeks ago in Acts 21. He had been uh, carried out of the temple. He's now arrested. He's in uh, Jerusalem. And we entitled that message, What is Wrecking Your Resolve? So we're really picking up that second part of that message in Acts 22, verse number 1. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard what he spake to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. 
taught according to the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous towards God as you are all today. I persecuted this way. The way was what they called the early church and Christians. He said, I persecuted them to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon suddenly a great light from heaven shone round about me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed to you for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony of all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and stated to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men and what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. See, I believe Paul's story is so powerful And he shares it so many times in this short book of Acts because I believe his salvation story surprised even him. I know it was a long passage of scripture that we read, but it kind of gives us context of the type of person that the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul hated Christianity. He hated the one that they called the Messiah. He wanted nothing to do with it. He was saying, I was the strictest I followed the rules of the Torah. I followed the laws of the high priests and the, the Sadducees, and I followed the, 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 what the synagogue and what the Pharisees wanted me to do. He was saying, I was devout. And then in verse number two, he even said, I was just as devout as all of you guys are. And he's trying to let them know, my past is very similar. And then he goes on to say, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. This was a very respected religious leader in that day. And Paul was saying, hey, I, I came to this moment where I wasn't even looking to change. I wasn't even looking to be transformed. But at that moment, I was changed. You see, in, uh, when it comes to the Apostle Paul, if you were to look at his high school graduation yearbooks, and people wouldn't write necessarily, hey, most likely to convert to Christianity. No, in his yearbook, they would write, most likely to be the next high priest. Most likely to be the next uh, Pharisee, great Pharisee. That's what you would have written. You wouldn't have written about this man who was going to take the gospel, the good news, the entire known world in that day. You wouldn't have written what we have studied in the book of Acts. And I want you to see that Paul's private struggle became a public story. In verse number one, he says something interesting. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you. The word defense there is the Greek word apologia. You say, oh, is he apologizing for being a Christian? No, he's giving a defense for why he converted to be a Christian. He had a reason. These were were things that he said are irrefutable to my testimony, to my story on why I chose to follow Jesus. He gave an apologetic. This is what's so important today is you and I need to know why we believe what we believe. 
The Apostle Paul makes it plain in the first verse. He's saying, hear my defense. Because what, why do you need a defense? Because people are going to attack it. People are going to attack the credibility of God's word. I mean, just think about it. To state that God wrote this book, of course people are going to attack it. That just seems, I mean, a little amazing that God wrote a book and we have it, that he wrote his words down. Of course people are going to attack it. So you and I need to have a defense for how we know that this is God's word. How do we know just some guys just didn't want to create their own little religion, their own little system, and write it down, and then pass it down, and here we are thousands of years later, kind of just following in line. How do We need to have a defense. We need to know why we believe what we believe, and then we need to follow through on it. So the Apostle Paul is stating in that verse, this is my defense. This is my apologia. This is why I can stand. You see, when people make claims that Jesus died on the cross, that three days later he resurrected and now sits at, at the right hand of the Father, we need to have an apologia, a defense of that, because of course your friends and family and neighbors are going to attack that. To have somebody rising from the dead after three days, of course they're going to attack it. I think sometimes as Christians we're a little bit naive to just assume that nobody's ever going to attack these things we believe in. Of course they are. But the Apostle Paul said, hey guys, I struggled with these. So the Apostle Paul's private struggle became a public story where now he's sharing his story publicly. He's saying, I had a battle with these things. This is my apologia. And he even goes on to write in first, or excuse me, Peter goes on to write in 1 Peter 3, he says something very important for you and I. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you. When people ask you, why are you a Christian? You should be able to come up with a better answer than simply, well, my daddy and my mommy was. That's not going to hold up. You guys, we live in the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, one of the most respected, most highly educated areas in the world. And for you and I just to say, well, I don't know why they don't just believe the Bible like I believe the Bible. They have degrees after degrees after degrees. They, I, I get it where some people, well, they just believe. Sometimes it just happens like that. Other times they need an apologia. They need somebody who says, I know what the Bible says, and I know how to tell you what God's word says, and I don't need to be mean about it. I don't need to beat you over the head. But if you have a question, the Bible has an answer. You and I need, as God's people, need to know this book so that we can teach people. You see, those that don't know the book are shutting down their churches because they don't know the book. Those that are simply saying, well, I'm just kind of kind of give in with whatever the winds of culture say, they don't know the book. You see, the book tells us it's my rule for faith and practice. I said it a few weeks ago. The Bible is the lens by which I see everything. It's the lens by which I see my, my parenting. When my children act up, then I know to discipline them. Hey, when I am wrong, there are certain things that I look through the filter of God's word and say, oh, hey, man, that was wrong, what I did. When I look at culture and society, I look through the lens of the word of God. You just can't look at culture and say, well, the majority accepts it. No, as Christians, we look at the scripture, and we need to have a reason why we do it. Many of us, we sound very hate-filled when we don't explain that. No, we came to these conclusions because we see it from God's Word. Many people are, are taking our own history of the United States. Now, I love that we live in a metropolitan area because we have so many cultures that m meet here, and it's great. But understand, when the Mayflower Compact was written and signed, that document was written and signed because they wanted a place to express freedom of religion. That's why they came here. They wanted a place where they could worship openly and freely, to worship God, because England had adopted a state church, and the state church had been corrupted by the king, because the king at that time wanted to have divorce after divorce after divorce, and then the pope wouldn't allow it, so he created his own state church, and then he made people uh, be a part of that state church. They wanted freedom of religion, so they came here to the United States, and they signed the Mayflower Compact, saying, this is the document by which we are attempting to start this in this new land this is what we want but so many people don't know history and don't know the bible so the apostle paul is saying have a defense for the faith 
You see, they can argue against the scripture, but they can't argue against their story. It's hard to look at many of you and not see that there is a God because you have told me how radically different your life is. I mean, there is B.C. and then A.C. in your life. There's before Christ and then there's after Christ in your life. And you can see a marked difference. Or at least we should see a marked difference. I think too often we revert back, don't we? But there should be a marked difference in our life. And the Apostle Paul, his testimony is powerful. He, he lands on some things that you and I need to land on. You see, when it comes to his testimony, he was teaching the truth. And when it comes to the truth, we need to live it. That's what he's saying in verse number three. He's saying, guys, I'm no stranger to you. I stand at the feet of Gamaliel. You guys know who I am. That's why they were silent when he was speaking Hebrew to them. Because they were like, this is the Apostle Paul. This was the rising star in the uh, uh, line. He could have been the next high priest, which would have been in that day, not only the spiritual leader, but also was kind of like the political leader in that time. The Paul was the, next, was the one that many people would have seen as, that's the guy. He's going to be next in line. He was one that they respected, one that they thought. But he was saying, guys, you know who I am. I had the truth and I've lived it out. Also, there comes a verse 19 and verse 20. He goes back to Jerusalem right after getting saved. And he's like, hey, I want to stay there and I want to minister in Jerusalem. You can see it. That's what he tells. And then God says, you need to leave. They're coming after you. And he said, no, I want to stay here. So when it comes to our testimony, Paul is saying, hey, when it comes to the truth, live it. When it comes to temptation, withstand it. And when it comes to your testimony, share it. Let me say it again. When it comes to the truth, live it. When it comes to temptation, withstand it. But when it comes to your testimony, share your testimony. Now, I think too often, you and I, if we've grown up in the church, we think we've got to have a testimony where, oh, man, I, I used to be an axe murderer, and I used to be on every drug. I was on drugs. You don't even know the name of these drugs. I was on, and, and we think we have to have these outlandish stories. I love the story of the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, John chapter number 8. Where the Pharisee said, what happened? He says, I don't know. Where once I was blind, but now I can see. They couldn't argue with his testimony. They can argue, and that's just it. I think some of us get intimidated because we say, well, I don't know the whole Bible. Neither do I. And I never will. But guess what? Every day I get a little bit stronger. Every day I read a little bit more. Every day I struggle and I wrestle with it and I write things down. I ask God to open my eyes to truth. Every day I want to know more and more about God and his word. That's why it's a relationship. It's just like the relationship I have with my wife. Every day I can work at it. Every day I can invest in it. Every day I can, I can build into it. I can learn more details and I can learn new aspects so the relationship doesn't get stale. It grows. So Paul calls this story his defense because he says this is what they can't argue with. Matter of fact, Revelation 12 verse 11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful, but do you have a testimony? Don't worry about, you say, well, the details around mine. My testimony was I was 12 years old. It was a Sunday evening on Easter, and I knew that I was unsaved. My dad, I couldn't tell you any of the details of the message he preached, but the entire time he was preaching, I knew I need to get saved. I could not wait till he gave the altar call. And as soon as he gave that altar call, I tugged on my mom's sleeve, and I said, hey, I'm not saved. Can you show me how to get saved? And we went into the back little kitchen area, and I prayed a prayer, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin. And at that moment I got forgiveness of sin I got a friend called Jesus and I got a future in heaven I remember that day I wasn't in a gang I wasn't strung out on drugs there's nothing that's super oh amazing wow this guy was going to be a terrible person and then change no 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 but it's because of that moment that's led to this moment do you see how that God works I think some of us do think we got to have a really bad testimony no you don't and if you do God can redeem it what I'm a little bit concerned about is sometimes we have glorified all the junk in our past, so much so that it's almost like people kind of want to, well, maybe I should do some of those bad things so people think I got a better testimony. No, no, no. Stay as far away from the junk as you can, all right? Let's, just, let's not go there because you think you need a greater testimony. The Apostle Paul, when he's saying, hey, I put people in prison and had them murdered or executed, he's not proud of that. He's just giving his resume. 
He's saying, guys, you know how zealous I was for the law. People, I was willing to execute people. That's how zealous I was for the law. And he's trying to show the 180, that 180 degree turn that he made in direction, that he had totally turned his life around. His life was different. You could tell his life was different. There's a famous poem. It was written by a Rwandan man who they, were told, they told him that he needed to renounce his faith. And he said, I will not renounce my faith. And the night before they executed him, they found a note in his tent or hut. And he wrote this down. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And many of you may have heard it, but every time I read it, every time I see it, it, it stirs me. Because he says, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit of power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame vision, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, persevere by faith, live by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast. My goal is heaven, my road is narrow. My way is rough, my companions few. My guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, shut up until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The fellowship of the unashamed. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony to share? You see, Paul's testimony was a private struggle that led to a public story. But Paul's story caused others to rewrite their own. Have you ever thought about how your testimony, that story could help others to rewrite their own? You see, in this passage, he says something, something powerful. And he's sharing this testimony. He's about to be led. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's going to prison. They have bound him in chains. The Roman guards have him. And he stops and says, let me say something to the crowd. And he wants to see them change because he's called to be a witness. Matter of fact, in the last time he shares his testimony in Acts 26, he says, then King Agrippa, after he heard Paul's testimony, he said, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost altogether such as I am, except for these change. He knew the power in his testimony. There's power in your testimony to change other people's story. That's what he was called to. I think too often we don't realize that if we were just to share our story, friends, family, and coworkers could be radically changed. That if you would just say, you know, yeah, we can have all these arguments about Christianity, but I just know that I'm a better husband because I'm a Christian. I just know I'm a more honest business person because I have Jesus in my heart, so I know it's wrong to rip people off. I just know I'm a better citizen, and I just know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor and not be a racist, not because I need somebody to tell me that, because the Holy Spirit inside of me has changed me where I don't see people and judge them based on their dress, based on other externals, that I can look at them with the eyes of God and say that that person has value. That's what a testimony can do. And lastly, the time is short. Paul's most powerful testimony was how he treated others. We get to verse 21 and something happens. Maybe you caught it. In verse 21, it says, Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. 
And then something strange happens in verse 22. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Who knew cancel culture has been around for 2,000 years, eh? Did you hear, did you read it? Did you catch it? They said, this person's not fit to be on the earth. Get rid of him. I don't know about you, but I read through that and I was like, what did Paul just do? What was offensive? I'm, you're trying to read yourself into the passage, right? You're trying to throw yourself into the, the, the narrative there. And you're trying to say, well, what, what did Paul do to really upset these Jews? I mean, why would they, at, they were listening. And the Bible says they were very quiet and they gave audience to him. They were paying attention. They were listening intently. So what happened? What did he say? Well, in verse 21, he said one little word, and it was one word that upset them. It was one word that Paul said that upset them so much that they said, you need to execute Paul because he said one word. Did he cuss them out? Did he swear? What did he do? If you want to underline the word, you can underline it. It's the last word in verse 21, the word Gentiles. The apostle Paul said the word Gentiles, And they said, oh, no, 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 we're Jews. Jesus is for the Jews. He's not for anybody else. And they said, you can die. But here's what's the amazing thing. The book of Acts is mostly about the church and the life of the Apostle Paul. But a church leader did not write the book of Acts. And Paul did not write the book of Acts. Does anybody remember who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Dr. Luke. Where's Luke from? Antioch. Antioch is not part of Judah. The writer of the book of Luke, also the gospel, also other documents, that man is a Gentile. He sure is thankful that Paul's ministry didn't just stay to the Jews. He's writing saying, thank you, Paul, for having a testimony that the testimony didn't just stay with the Jews. Thank you for having a testimony because of your testimony. I'm writing about it. And because of your testimony, I'm on my way to heaven. So thank you, Paul, for being willing to risk your life so that others may hear. I think you and I get intimidated because somebody may get upset. Somebody may get bothered because they don't like the fact that we say, you know what? Jesus loves us, but he wants to transform us. He wants us to repent of our sin and receive him as our savior. That's his. In John 14, 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say there's a bunch of other ways. He said it's exclusive. I'm the only way. And then here's Luke writing about it saying, thank you, Paul. Thank you for not just loving the Jewish people. Thank you, Paul, for loving all people. Because you and I are, unless we're Messianic Jews, we are the Gentiles. Paul is saying, I loved everybody which is exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is for everyone. It's not exclusive, it's inclusive. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but everlasting life. That's the message of the gospel. But take that word gospel and take the first two letters of it, and it spells the word go. Are supposed to go and tell people our testimony. You don't have to know everything that this book says, but take your testimony and say, I'm gonna go with that. And I'm gonna tell my loved ones, I'm gonna tell my coworkers, I'm gonna tell the people that I'm around. I'm in the business community. Many of you are waiting on pins and needles, just hoping things go to the Supreme Court and we get this thing turned around. Instead of saying, No, Jesus can change anybody and everybody. So why don't I just start sharing my testimony? And maybe by the time they get things figured out, we may have just transformed the world already because everybody knows Jesus and that will just fix everything and so that's what we need to focus on but instead we just don't realize the power in our testimony you see for the apostle Paul his life was that he must testify there's nowhere he would go where he wouldn't share his testimony it's it's not like hey Paul I want you to come preach he would tell you this if you ask him to come preach then I got to tell my story I have to tell people how I received Jesus I have to because it's powerful People will hear it and be transformed by it. You see, the gospel was good so long it was only for them is the attitude that these Jews had. 
And sadly, many Christians had the same attitude. See, the history of Israel is a history where God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will bless you so that you can bless many nations. That was supposed to be the history of the Israel people, of the Jewish people. Here they are saying, oh, you love the Gentiles? You can die. They've lost sight of what their very purpose was. Christians, the church has lost sight of our very purpose. I get it we can hand out gift baskets, and I get it we can give out trees, but ultimately people don't need a social gospel. They need the gospel, your testimony, and my testimony. Let's start there, and maybe, just maybe, this world will be transformed. This Bay Area may be transformed. If we get our eyes back on the fact that Jesus said, hey, we're supposed to go into the uttermost and preach the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. See, the gospel is for everyone, not just someone. And it's not about what Paul did or what Paul went through, but who he went through it and did it for. You see, none of this makes sense if it was just Paul just saying, hey, I just want to do this. No, he was willing to risk his life because he believed in it. He knew that this is something to his story. There's a famous hymn writer. Her name was Fanny Crosby. She wrote a song entitled Blessed Assurance. It's a hymn we used to sing in days gone by. And I love this old hymn. It says, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of the Spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. The Apostle Paul said, I'm a one-trick pony. I just have to keep telling my testimony. That's all I've got. That's his apologetic. That was his apologia. That was his defense. He didn't argue with them what he knew out of the Torah. He didn't argue with what he knew, even though this is a person who had, had seen, when he says, the, the, had seen the anointed one, he's saying, I saw the Messiah resurrected. That's what he's saying. But instead, he goes to what his life, how it had changed. Has your life changed, my friend? Have you let Jesus change you? You say, I haven't let him change me. Well, would you let him change you tonight? Would you let him take the old, what I call carnal desires, the love of this world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, would you let him start to transform that? Would you let Jesus into your heart? We've tried everything, but we have not tried Jesus. We've looked to everything but Jesus. And as churches in America have pointed people to everything but Jesus. And we need to once again say, it's our testimony. And tell people that there is a testimony. Paul's motto was, I must testify. Because I've got a story to tell. I've got something to say. And it's not about me, it's about my Savior. And people kept coming to Paul because the fire of his testimony would warm them. And they would grow warmer by the flame of his faith. How is your testimony? Do you have one? I believe everybody that's a born-again Christian has a testimony. And if you say, I don't have one, then maybe on a Sunday evening, just like I did on an Easter, maybe that is your night. Maybe tonight is the night. The Bible says this, whosoever will may come. Whoever wants to. God's not going to twist your arm. But I believe the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart, saying, will you let me in? Will you let me in to change you? Will you let me in to help you? Will you receive me as your Savior? Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for you and for me to give us a whole new life, to transform things. You see, the Bible tells us that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The moment we receive him, Life changes. We become the children of God. You said, I thought we all were the children of God. No, not until we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
we receive him and at that moment we're adopted into that heavenly family and maybe tonight is the night where you say yeah I want to receive Jesus as my Savior I'm going to invite you to in just a moment can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed there's two groups of people here there are those who have a testimony and need the boldness to share it. You need to be encouraged to share that testimony. This week, you're gonna gather with friends and family. And maybe you just take a moment and just say, can I share my testimony with you? Can I tell you what Jesus did for me? Can I tell you about the path I was headed and how Jesus changed my direction? Can I tell you how I was ruining my life and Jesus stepped in and he revived it? Or maybe you're here and you said, I don't have one yet, but I'd like to have a testimony. And maybe November 22nd, 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, is the moment where you say, tonight is where I get my testimony. With head bowed and eyes closed, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart and you know that uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your savior and heaven is your home, would you just slip up your hand? You say, I know I'm going to heaven, amen. Amen. God bless you. You've got a testimony to share. Thank you. You may put your hands down. But maybe you say, I couldn't raise my hand. But I'd like to have a testimony. I'd like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. How do I do that? It's simple. It's a small prayer, a simple prayer. But you say, tonight, I'd like to receive Jesus, my personal Savior, with nobody looking. But you say, I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Would you just slip up your hand? We can pray for you. Is anybody like that? You say, tonight, I want to receive Jesus Christ, my Savior. Anybody in the room like that? You say, I want to receive him. If you want to, in just a moment, we're going to open up the altar. And you're going to have the opportunity to meet me at the front. I'll pray with you or talk with you. And you just come down. I can pray with you. Or you can meet me in the lobby. I'll be in the lobby for a few minutes. But we're going to open up the altars in just a moment here. And we want to give you an opportunity to either say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to use my testimony. Or tonight, you're going to receive your testimony. Let's sing one song together, and we're going to open up the altars where we can come and pray. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated for just a moment more. We have just a few more announcements real quick. Uh, I'm going to have my wife just update us on the Vision Gala, and then we have a few more closing announcements. All right. We actually found a place that can actually hold our event, but it will be an um, outdoor dining. So we found a place literally on Thursday night, and it's at Hotel Valencia at Santana Row. So you're familiar with Santana Row. It'll be at Hotel Valencia. It'll be an outdoor event, but it's also a um, covered patio area. Um, however, we are out of space. Sorry, but we are offering chicken um, for another option. So we have fish, chicken, and um, fish, and it is $55 per person. It starts at 6 o'clock. If you've never been, I really would encourage you to come. It is a black tie event. And if you're worried about curfew, they are offering us five rooms for a discounted price for $159, which is normally like $220. So hope you, um, if you're interested to sign up, um, tonight will be the last night for registration. So just come meet me outside and sign up at the table. Wonderful, and I, I really hope you can attend. I think you'll enjoy that event. It's a great event. And if you're uh, saying, hey, I want to go, and you just need a little help with some of the details, please see me afterward. We really would love for you to attend because we have some exciting details that I'd love to share with you about uh, what the Lord is doing in the year 2021. I believe that a church should continue to move forward even in the face of great adversity. This is where we see uh, God do some of his greatest miracles. So I really hope you can make plans to attend. You say, well, there's no more steak. What she failed to mention is when she says chicken, she means uh, chicken cordon bleu, which is still really good. I would rather have that than steak. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, it's we would want you to attend. I think you'll really enjoy the uh, event. It's a great time for us to gather. Like I said, it's fun to kind of dress up and they'll be safe, but it'll be we're in a great venue at Santana Row. So I hope you can be a part of uh, uh, joining us. Also, if this is your first time at Southridge, thank you, you're our honored guest. We'd love to give you a gift on your way out. So if you stop by our 
guest center. We have a gift bag for you. So if this is your first time, please stop by there. And we would really love to greet you and say thank you for attending. So please don't miss out. And I hope you all have a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask, Austin, you ready? All right, come on up. I'm going to ask Austin to close in prayer. And uh, he's, been work- he's been working on this all week. All right, here we go. You ready? Okay, buddy. Dear Jesus, thank you for today and sending your son to die for our sins. And Jesus, I just pray for the church and to keep it safe and help that we would continue to praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You are dismissed. We'll see you back next Sunday. God bless you. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.